sampling of Simon Peter this morning, the beginning of this amazing relationship you had with him, I pray we could see where we fit in the story, that we would also be able to reflect on our calling and how you said our name, and we heard it, and we said yes, and we followed. Thank you. Thank you for Simon Peter. Thank you for his amazing story uh, where we see you breaking into the interesting places of his life. pray your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Three guys, three guys who have one thing uniquely in common. See if you can figure out what it is. The first guy, 99 years old, and he proves that it's never too late. It's never too late. You can be 99, and it's not too late to hear the sound of a baby, to hold one in your arms. 99, not too late. The second man... Wrestler, late at night, but not too late, not too late. Wrestling, sweat, pain, anguish, but not too late because the sun hasn't risen yet. It's not too late. The third guy, common, ordinary, not many aspirations, fisherman, just doing life. What do they have in common? Uniquely in common among people that you know. There's something unique about each of these guys that they share. You want a hint? There's a woman. She, the one that laughs at the promises of God. What do they have in common? Anybody? All right, this is good. This is good. All right, I'll give you their names. Abraham, the 99-year-old. Jacob, the one who wrestled with the Lord. Sarah, the one who laughed at the promises of God. Peter, the fisherman. Do you know what they all have in common? Abraham was once called Abram. Sarah was once called Sarai. Jacob, sorry, Israel was once called Jacob. We still usually call him Jacob. And Simon, Peter, all of them had a name change by God. I don't know if there's more people like that in the Bible. I was trying to thinking about it this week, all the people with name changes. But those are the ones I came up with. Saul to Paul. Saul to Paul. Name changes. Name changes. Uh, Now Abraham, we could put his one up there. Exalted father became Abraham, father of a multitude. Jacob, put him up there. Supplanter, the heel grasper, you know, the, the, the one that, I'll get ahead of you whether I have to deceive, whether I have to wrestle you all night. I'm going to get the best of you. Uh, To Israel, the one who struggles with God. Struggles with God. Next is uh, Simon. God has heard, becomes Peter, the rock. 
Now, years ago, I'm doing a VBS, and I, I, I'm, I'm not in charge of the whole thing. I'm just in charge of teaching. And I had teenagers, and, and we, were, we, were, we were doing the story of Peter's life. We, we had a boat on the stage, and we were in the boat, and we acted terrified when Jesus was walking on the water. and it was, it was so much fun. And every time we talked about Peter, I wanted to remind the kids what Peter's name meant. And the curriculum said the best way to remind the kids what Peter means is to say, Peter, the rock. You know, so we had all these kids, you had to stand up, you know, what does Peter mean? They all go, the rock, and then they would do their, you know, their muscle move. Um, and, uh, but the interesting thing about Peter is, and I, I didn't think about it at that time, I'm thinking about it these days, is Peter's not very rock-like when we first meet him. And I think that's kind of the ironic thing, that, that Jesus meets Peter, and, and or actually, and, and, and of course the video takes some liberties, because I don't think... That day on the shore with the nets was not the first time they'd ever laid eyes on Jesus. There was another time. Can we get John chapter 1 up there? You know, one of the two who heard John, that'd be John the Baptist, speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So you're Simon. I'm going to call you Rock. And yet I don't think, okay, so I'm sure I've heard people say this, maybe in sermons or maybe, I don't know, but Jesus looked at Peter. And and I've heard people say he must have seen something in Peter that was Rock-like. I think if anything... Jesus looked into Peter and saw that he would become a rock. Because at this point, I'd say Peter has a lot of jagged edges. That's why we like him, right? You know, because he has doubts. He fails. He denies Jesus. Speaks when he shouldn't speak. He just puts his foot in his mouth a lot. And we love that about him. We love reading stories about him. But calling him the rock in the Gospels doesn't make sense according to what we see of him. It makes more sense in Acts to see Peter as more rock-like. Even then he's not perfect, clearly. But that Peter seems more strong than the one in the Gospels. Peter gets named that a couple times. Uh, There was another passage, we could put that up, when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I'll tell you, you are Peter, you are rock. And on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Which is why a lot of uh, ancient uh, depictions of Peter... You know, in art, show him carrying keys. That kind of identifies him. That's Peter. He's got the keys. Um, you're the rock. Catholics would understand this, that, that Jesus is saying, you're going to be the leader of the church. You're the first pope. You're Peter. I think it'd be better. I mean, okay, so other evangelicals, though, think that when Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, that when, Peter, when Jesus said, that's the rock I'm going to build on, He meant Peter's confession. 
you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm going to build on that rock. Although I can't escape the logic here that Jesus says, Peter, you're the rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church. I can't escape that it sounds like we're building on Peter. And I think that's a fair statement. Is there a way to understand Peter as something that gets built on, a rock? I think there is. Abraham had his name changed. Jacob had his name changed. Sarah, Paul, Saul to Paul. Check out Isaiah. Uh, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek Yahweh. Look to the rock. Here we go. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to who? Look to Abraham, your father, and to who? To Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. Abraham and Sarah, you are like rocks, and I am building on you. Peter, you're a rock, and I'm building on you. You see connections? You see it? If I'm right in my interpretation, I think that Jesus is saying, I'm going to build on you, Peter. Ephesians 2.20 says this. I, I didn't put this on the overhead. I was just thinking about this last night. It says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And I believe Peter is a rock that Jesus is building on. But of course, you've got to remember, the cornerstone is Jesus. It's never about Peter, but it is a high calling to be an apostle. To be one of the twelve? To be built on like that? Yes. But the process of becoming everything Jesus wants for Peter... He's got to take some of those edges off. But Peter is the rock. So Andrew introduces Peter to Jesus, I believe. So I believe when we look at Luke chapter 5 today, I invite you to turn there. When we look at Luke chapter 5, I don't believe this is the first meeting of, of Peter and Jesus that they had met before. Peter knew something about this Jesus. In fact, it had already been renamed by him. So look at Luke. Chapter 5, verse 1. And uh, this, is, this is Peter's calling to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. As we look at this passage, this is my goal for you. Um, I want us to understand our calling. I want you to understand your calling. At some point in your life, most of you, I think, have heard Jesus calling your name, and you said, yes, I'm in. I want you to understand your calling through the lens of Peter. So you might have to go back to the beginning in your mind. You might have to go back to that sense you had at whatever that time was when you were like, I've got to really follow. This is not just, this is not just playing around. This is not just lukewarmness. This is, I've got to be hot. I've got to follow Jesus. I, he's called me. You might go back to that first prayer you ever prayed to him. You might go to that important part of your life, like for me when I was a junior in high school and I felt called into ministry. You might go to a certain point where you were like, I've got to follow him. He died for me and forgave me. 
you heard his voice. I want you to understand that calling better through Peter's uh, story. So I'm saying, I want, to be very, I want to be very clear here, it's not just pastors and missionaries that get the call. It's all of you that get the call. I want to be clear on that. Okay, let's look at the passage. Uh, Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was standing in the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. There he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Right at the bat here we see that it appears that Peter owns the boat. So, you know, some people try to understand with Simon... You know, was he a wealthy fisherman? Was he poor? Some people say, yeah, he's a peasant. Some people say, no, he's more like the middle class guy because he owned his own boat. And people would be under him in, in, in that system. He's, he's the boat owner. Uh, apparently, boat owners could make up to 40% of the, the, the haul of fish. You had to pay the government, of course, taxes. You had to pay the distributor of fish. I, I can't tell you where I land on that. Was he a peasant or was he uh, middle class? Uh, but he did own a boat, and that's not a bad thing for him to own that fishing business. And apparently he owned it with other people as well, which we see later here. Okay, so verse 4. So, so Jesus is speaking from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Some people have read it like this. Uh, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. <laughs> Don't you wish you could hear tone, you know, in this thing? I wish. Obviously, the video took that tone. Um, I'm not sure it's legitimate or not, but I just wanted to point that out. Uh, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So Simon has partners in this business. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll catch men. So they pulled their boats up onto the shore, left everything, and followed him. How do we understand Peter's calling, how do you understand your calling? Just, just a few thoughts to carry you into this thing. Um, number one, the, the Lord's call on your life is recognizable. It, it's recognizable. You, you, you know it when it happens. It's not bad to go to Christian conferences. You know, we went to the No Regrets Conference and, and we had the IF gathering right here at church with the women. Um, I love conferences. I love getting away. I love hearing from the Lord in those places. But you don't have to go to hear from the Lord. There's a fishing boat involved in this calling. Peter, put out to the water. There's Jesus teaching from a boat. There's, there's nets full of fish. All of this was orchestrated by Jesus just to be able to say to Peter, you're going to fish for people now. Go fish. You know, just to say go fish to Peter, Jesus did all of this fishing stuff to get his attention. Peter 
recognized the hand of God in all this. He knew this was not like beginner's luck. The carpenter said fish here and look what happened, you know. It's not beginner's luck. He, he recognized what it was and, and, and God has a powerful way of showing up in your life so that you understand it's him. You will know when it's him. You will. You have the Spirit of God living in you. You better believe you're going to, when God tells you to do something, I want you to talk to that person. I want you to, to go over here. You're going to know it. And even when you were in sin and you were blinded, God let you know he was after you. When I didn't know if I wanted to adopt or not, I prayed the prayer and the next day someone shows up on my door and, and hands me a, a Christian journal on adoption. How'd that happen? You know? I know the Lord sent that man to my door. He has a way of doing that. He has a way of doing that. So whatever you're being asked to do, God will make it clear. I mean, you see that throughout the whole Bible. Abraham, go. Uh, Moses, go back to the people. I don't want to go back to the people. I'm sending you to those people, you know. Joshua, I'm going to go with you into the promised land. There's never like a, there's always our excuses. There's never like a, I don't get it. I just, you know, what am I doing? He makes it clear. He made it clear to you. Don't doubt the clarity you had the first moment you believed. Don't doubt the clarity he gave you. This is what he does. God's good at it. Number two, um, the Lord's call on your life might even seem unreasonable, but it's not. I wish I could hear the tone, you know, well, if you say so. I read some scholars that, that, that kind of go like that. It, certainly Peter had a little bit of lip in him you know, when he said that. I don't know. I, I always kind of read it like Peter saying, uh, well, we fished all night, but because I respect you, I'm going back out. I mean, that, that's kind of how I read it. I, I, can't, I can't hear tone very well there, uh, so, so I, I'm not sure. But all I know is if you fish all night and you've washed the nets and you're putting them away, and a carpenter tells you to go back out, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> the knot fish, the, the, the knot, right? You're going out to the place where the fish are not. <laughs> and, and yet, that's exactly what Jesus told Peter to do. Understand, with your calling comes things that you would not normally do. It's speaking to people you would not normally speak to. It's helping people you would not normally help. It's forgiving people you would not normally forgive. It's all those things he's calling you to. And, and, and to the normal worldly person, it's unreasonable. Try to tell anybody they should move their family somewhere to, to tell an unreached people group about Christ. That doesn't make sense. Until you understand people are going to hell and then, in God's wisdom, it makes perfect sense. So be careful, because more than likely, the Lord's going to ask you to do something that doesn't make sense to you unless you look at it from a biblical, Holy Spirit perspective. It won't make sense according to your upbringing, according to your culture, according to what you know, but it does make sense to Jesus, and you have to trust Him on that. He won't ask you to do something that breaks his word, of course. You've got to be careful there, too. You know, Jesus gives us the word of God. He's called us to follow it. He's called us to love it. He is the word. He won't ask you to break his own commands. 
Some of you are saying, but there are a hierarchy of commands, right? You know, like uh, honoring the Lord first. You know, yeah, there's a hierarchy, I'm sure. God's always first. I, uh, we obey God first. But, you know, in general, he doesn't ask us to break his words. Uh, number three. Uh, the Lord's call on your life provokes a realization of sin. This is verse 8 and 9. So, so they get this catch of fish. And by the way, uh, old fishing boats, Sea of Galilee, they can hold up to two tons. Two tons. And, and the boats are sinking, you know. The nets are full. And Peter sees this and he knows this is not just the, the most successful day of his life. He knows it's not about his success as a businessman, a fisherman. He knows this is about a sign from God. And it just rocks him to the core. And he realizes how sinful he is. Look, none of us get into this faith thing without realizing how sinful we are. You ever met a believer that acts like they have it all together? And they're quick to say how holy they are. And they do seem holy. And it seems almost unreal. I have a hard time with people like that. Just, just putting it out there. If that's you, I have a hard time with people like that. Because I look at my life and I see my shortcomings. And I just, I want that realness of, if, if this is based on merit, I'm not the guy standing up here preaching. You know, I'm not that guy. If this is based on merit, I'm not going to heaven. Holy Spirit doesn't live in this. But it's not based on merit. But, but I think all of us have to wrestle with that feeling of, I don't deserve any of this. You ever met a Christian that almost makes demands of God? I have a hard time with that too. D- demanding from God as if we deserve it? What I deserve is hell. What I get is grace, and I'm counting on grace every day. It's new every morning. That's how his mercies work. But I know I don't deserve it. I've been uh, praying differently on Sunday mornings recently because I've been feeling um, kind of like the, no one has said this to me, by the way. It's just in my heart. The, the now you better, you better deliver. Pastor, you better give a good message. And I've been spending more time Sunday morning saying to the Lord, if you don't show up and if you don't work, my, what I've got to share is not going to work. And that's the truth. Because natural speaking talent only carries you so far. But when I hear the Spirit of God is working, then I know prayers are being answered, mine included, and I know God is moving. He's doing the work. So, You've got to understand, we don't deserve any of this. And Peter has that moment of, just, just go away, Jesus, go away. I, I'm so sinful. I'm so unworthy of what you're doing in my life. Oh, if every time the Lord did something big, we'd say, oh, I don't deserve it. I know at some point, though, we also say we receive it. We receive it, what you've done. We receive it. Because that's part of the blessing. So... Um. The Lord's call on your life provokes a realization of sin. I think it makes you more real. I think it's, uh, boy, I, I caught up with a guy uh, last weekend at a wedding. 
And uh, I, I hadn't talked to him since he was in one of my marriage small groups. And, and I loved this guy because, in the small group setting in particular, because he could just go there and say what was really going on in his life. And it opened other people up. It only takes one to say, here's how marriage really is. Oh, it's safe to talk about that in here? Well, then I'll tell you too. It only takes one. None of us are deserving. We're all unworthy, but we get grace at the beginning of the day to the end of the day. Number four, um, the Lord's call on your life is about raising up disciples. You know, this, this is Peter's, what he hears. I want you to fish for men. I want you to go fishing now, Peter. It's not like that anymore. Um, it's about raising up disciples. You can connect this with the Great Commission, go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. Those things connect because when you go fishing and you catch somebody, you have to disciple them. I, th- I was so encouraged that at the IF gathering, the, the, um, one of the messages that I heard from the ladies that was so powerful was David Platt. And, and they said, we've got to show this in church. And, and we may actually do that uh, when we get the downloads and, and, and get that worked out. But I got to listen to the message uh, streaming. And uh, awesome message, awesome message. And one of the things that hit me, just one thing that he said that really hit me was, it was that uh, just make one disciple, just one. Because I think many of us, we think of like the classroom thing, you know, like kids in the classroom and I'm teaching them. Uh, We think of church and the pastors talking to people. Just one. And go get a cup of coffee with them in the mornings. Pray with them once a week. Talk to them about life. Ask them what they're reading in the Bible. Have them ask what you're reading in the Bible. Just make one. Just invest in one person. Go fishing. Go fishing. That's the word. Now, you might ask the question, well, is it going to be successful? Is it going to work? Uh, will my fishing, I don't know how to fish very well. Is that going to, you know, do I have the right bait? Do I know right, right stuff to say? And I think if Peter asked those questions, all he had to do was look back at the nets and realize they're full. They're full. The fish are in the nets. God does this. And if you ask him, he'll lead someone to you, into your life. He'll help you recognize who that person is because he helps you recognize your calling. That's what he does. And you'll be able to invest in that person. That's what he's called our church to, to fish for people and to disciple them. You will be successful. The nets will be full. Doesn't mean you're going to have a hundred fish in your living room. They wouldn't fit there anyway. Number five. The Lord's call on your life requires an all-in response. What did they do in verse eleven? Uh, you know, you know how it goes. They they pulled up their boats and they left everything. I think Luke is the only one to record that they left everything. You know, all the fish walk away. Most successful business day ever. Walk away. After no fish all night, done. Done. So mark it down. If you've said yes to Jesus, Jesus is going to say, I want you to leave this behind. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. But he's going to point to something and say, I know it's going to be sin. I know that. But he's going to point to some good thing in your life and he's going to say, get rid of it. It won't be your spouse. (laughs) It won't be your spouse. 
But he's going to point to some good thing in your life and say, part with it. That's the calling of Christ on your life. And you're going to say, I'm all in, and you're going to walk. You're going to walk away. Peter, uh, I think he's accused in Acts of, of not being very educated. And it holds true, right? I mean, if you look at the Greek grammar, I think I've shared this with you before. You know, Paul's got some really good grammar. He's a smart guy. Peter's like the, I heard one Greek professor say, Peter is the high school dropout. But that's kind of harsh. He wrote the inspired word of God. I wouldn't say that about him, <laughs> okay? But, but just, he's, he's not an educated guy. But he's the rock the church is built on. Normal, everyday fishermen. I'm going to build on you, Peter. And then I've got to believe, I've got to believe Peter was thinking about that when he wrote this in 1 Peter, if we could pull the verse up. As you come to him, you, you're the living, oh, sorry, this is Jesus, the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, you are like living stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house. Can, can you picture a rock with a smiley face painted on it? You, you're the living stone built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, which is what we did this morning, acceptable to God. We sang to him through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. God is building the church on you. And for 2,000 years, the building has been growing. We're up to how many stories? I don't know. But the church has been building and growing. Peter's somewhere at the bottom. He's the rock. He's somewhere at the bottom. You're somewhere up here at the top as history goes on. You're a rock. And God wants to put other rocks around you that you've helped him lay. Not because he needed your help. He's called you to help. Lay those rocks. He's called you to fish. We're mixing metaphors now. Build the church. Build the house of God. Add more rocks. It's getting bigger. It's growing. And I've got to believe that Peter was thinking about that when he wrote that. And I've also got to believe, and this is just me, this is me this morning, as I'm, as I'm meditating this morning, I don't know, that just came to my mind. The day of Peter's calling, you've got maybe almost two tons of fish in a boat. And the boats are starting to sink. Help, help, we need help over here. The boats are sinking. And Jesus says, you're going to fish for people. Is it going to work? Look at the nets. They're full. And on the day of Pentecost, who preaches the sermon? Peter. How many people get saved that day? About 3,000. 3,000 fish in the nets. Do you wonder if he thought back to that moment and was like, this is the moment where... Not only did I fish for people, the nets are breaking, the, the, the boat is sinking, 3,000 people. I've never had a day like that. You don't have to have a day like that. Just one. Just one. But I've got to think that when Peter saw his, the reaction that day, he thought, look at all the people, look at all the fish. And God still did the work. 
Let's pray.